Coming up on today's edition of the Tomahawk Show, we break down all the action from what was truly a wild, wild card weekend in the NFL. Plus, it's our one-year anniversary, so we're bringing you the top five moments from the guests we've had join the show over the year. And we're also going to react to some of your special voicemails telling us what you enjoyed most about the Tomahawk Show in 2018. All that and more coming up on today's edition of the Tomahawk Show. Joe, Hawk, it's Donnie from Brockton. Calling to wish you guys a happy one-year anniversary on the podcast. Wow, one year. That's longer than uh, I've moved back in at my mother's place. She keeps kicking me out or whatever, but uh, I'm just back here to save money. But, hey, I'm working on a business plan, and uh, I'd love to send you guys the uh, the, the whole pitch or whatever. Uh, so if I could get your email, you know, or your phone number, uh, or your address, whatever. Welcome to the Tomahawk Show, presented by the good folks over at Uninterrupted. Listen, if you've been living under a rock, you have now tuned into the best podcast in the history of audio. I am one of two of your humblest co-hosts. My name is Andrew Hawkins, and I am a seven-time NFL participant. Um, I am also a two-time Grey Cup champion. I am a current ESPN football analyst. I am the best 5'7 wide receiver in the history of football. So you have the pleasure of listening to the sweet sounds of my baritone voice. Joined as always by a guy who needs no introduction, but I'll do it anyway. His name is Joe Thomas. Joe Thomas, the best left tackle in the history of the National Football League. And that's not an exaggeration, unlike everything that I said about myself. 10,363 consecutive snaps, 10 Pro Bowls. How many All-Pros, Joe? Uh, You know, I stopped counting after 75. Yeah, 75 All-Pro appearances. He played his entire career in Cleveland. He will live the rest of his life in Canton, Ohio as a future Hall of Famer. Speaking of Hall of Famer, as of today, he is an official inductee into the College Football Hall of Fame. My, my invitation is still in the mail. Mm. It didn't quite make it to me on time to make the announcement today, so we're gonna, they're going to try to put me in next year um, for my illustrious college football career. But today is about Joe Thomas. Joe, number one, congratulations. Thank you. And number two, how's the weather out there? <laughs> yes, another beautiful rainy day here. Although I heard in L.A. it's getting a little bit rainy out there. So it is. Uh, we don't even have to talk about the weather since it's rainy everywhere in the country. I'm interested, though, because Shots. you mentioned that you think you'll be in the College Football Hall of Fame next yes. season. We didn't Obviously. know each other when we were in college. But London Fletcher from, I think, John Carroll, small John Carroll College, Division Three has just been inducted in the same class of College Football Hall of Fame as I have. So there's wow. no excuses from you about saying Toledo was too small of a school and you're being overlooked. Ah, wow. Well, that, that upsets me because had I gone to John Carroll, I can promise you, I would also be getting <laughs> inducted to the College Football Hall of Fame today. <laughs> Nothing against John Carroll. I'm just saying I would have bought out. That's just mm. I'm just putting it out there. Mm. But congratulations to London Fletcher as well. We are like the same height. But he is also the same height and width, and he used to hit like a Mack truck. And he was uh, very scary to play against, so no surprise that he's also in the College Football Hall of Fame. I, I got a, a question for you. Um, 
who do you think weighs more right now, you or London Fletcher? Because he was like <laughs> five seven, two fifty when he played, and like you mentioned, one of the all time Ironmen in the NFL. Great guy, great person, mm-hmm. great linebacker. Never came off the field for the Redskins. Played against him a bunch of times. He was super smart. He was a sure tackler. He could play in coverage. He was one of those rare linebackers that could kind of do it all. There was no weakness in his game, um, but. He was like 250, and I wonder, you always wonder, do guys go up or down after they retire? We know what happened with Andrew Hawkins. Yeah, so how would you compare your body weight okay. right now to London Fletcher currently? It's funny because I auditioned for CBS before the year, um, and me and London were on the same panel because he's also a CBS sports guy, <laughs> obviously. Mm. I got offered the job, but I couldn't make <laughs> it happen because of my schedule. But, yeah, um, we were about the same size on the panel. We were both about 250 still. He looked great um, for being done playing football, and I no one described me that way. Yeah. Um, I actually brought his suit, his extra suit jacket, because mine, uh, my button broke as I tried to button it up. So you got but that going for you. <laughs> got that going for me. But speaking of last year, today, as of today, this marks the one-year anniversary of the Tomahawk Show, which is a huge, huge deal. It's all anybody's talking about. We are close to, what episode is this? Episode 67? Does that sound right? Okay, between 67 and 70, something in there. And we are over 4 million downloads. Again, not an exaggeration. Over 4 million downloads. We typically tell people if they like the podcast to subscribe and rate five stars. But of the 4 million downloads slash listens slash shares slash five star ratings, we've never had one person in the last calendar year come up to us and say, we don't love this podcast. So now we're just going to count it as a foregone conclusion that it's the best podcast. And you should probably go tell Apple. You should probably go tell Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast that we are five stars in the form of a five-star rating. Mm. Joe, over the last year, what has been the biggest surprise for you since we've been doing this podcast? I know we kind of started out just like, eh, let's just wing it and see what happens. <laughs> and here we are, just a staple in the sports media landscape. What has been the biggest surprise for you? Well, the biggest surprise for me is clearly that anybody is still listening to this podcast after a full season. (laughs) And somehow we've actually grown our viewership and our download base every single week, which is pretty cool. I feel like as the football season kind of grinds on, you would think that maybe your viewership and your listenership would be steady or maybe decline a little bit because people get a little bit stale of listening to the same two yahoos uh, Mm -hmm. chit chat about football but for some reason it just keeps going up and it's pretty exciting to me because my favorite time from last year was when we got to go to the super bowl and we get to go to radio row and we get to hang out with all the big wigs and we rub elbows with all the great media personalities of our generation and we steal the show i'm just gonna put it out there and uh, tired of being humble for once we stole the show at the Super Bowl last year. We did a bunch of YouTube clips. We had everybody from Hall of Famers to media moguls to entertainment icons, uh, guys that I listened to growing up, like Busta Rhymes and guys that I watched growing up, uh, Rod Woodson. We had all sorts of great guys on the on the show, which was a lot of fun because you and I, we like to sit down with guys in person, which is something that we don't get to do when we do this podcast on a daily basis, but we grind through six, eight hours of interviews with uh, guys and it's so much fun. And we come up with some of the best content of the year and we're already planning for it. We've got a bunch of cool wrinkles in the works 
And I'm just really looking forward to spending some in-person time with you guys and producing some of the podcast gold like we did last year. It's just straight gold, man. That is That was very, very cool at the, at the Super Bowl because it was kind of our like introduction to the world. And what was really, really awesome about it was that people within, again, the sports media landscape telling us how great the show was. And at that point, we kind of didn't know. We were just doing it. Yeah. And I don't think we realized the reach we had or like who was tuning in and who thought it was cool. So when we you know, were talking to people that we respected in the space and they were like, yo, I love your podcast. I've been listening since you started. It was like a, a really, really, really cool thing. Over the last year, I have been stopped and, and asked about the Tomahawk show on uh, Melrose in L.A., on Sunset at Laker Games, in Dallas at AT&T Stadium, the ESPYs. Um, I've been stopped in airports. I've gone on planes, and I'm, I'm sure this listener is going to remember this. I remember I got on a plane. It was like 4 in the morning. It was the earliest flight in the history of, of aviation. It was like four in the morning. I'm groggy. I am dead. I look like death walking onto the mm, plane. Pretty standard. And this young lady who was sitting was like on her phone. She looks up and she said, oh, my God, Joe Hawk yourself. And it's like loud <laughs> in the plane. And everybody looked up like, what the heck did she just say to him? And so I gave her a Joe Hawk yourself back. And <laughs> it was like it was like heaven. That's, that, at that moment is when I knew, oh, man, this is. This is a family we're building here amongst the Tama flock. <laughs> so it's been a year. Again, everyone listening, we thank you. We appreciate you. We wouldn't have been able to get to this point without you. You are truly family to us. We love doing this podcast. We love that you listen. And more important than anything else, we love that you enjoy it. Um, without further ado, it's time to talk some football. This past weekend, it was playoff football, playoff action, which Joe Thomas, who was an incredible guy, incredible football player, Iron Man, um, Again, just a legend when it comes to the game of football, but he knows nothing about the playoffs. Me, I played three games in the playoffs um, of my six-year six career, and I lost all of them, but I was there. So I, this makes me more of an expert than Joe in the playoffs. Zerm, what are we going to kick off with in this playoff talk? Well, since it was wild card weekend, it feels only right to start with the wildest of the games. And Love it. That would be the Eagles, uh, Eagles Bears, and you know we will get to Nick Foles continuing his playoff legend. But I think we got to start with Bears kicker and former Browns kicker, Cody mm -hmm. Parkey, who uh, had a chance to win the game for the Bears at the end and missed a kick. It it looks like it also has come out this morning, late last night, that the kick was partially blocked. So there's a lot happening, mm. but. Poor Cody Parker getting booed as he's going off the field. But, Hawk, you had a really interesting tweet, and I think, Joe, you have a kind of a good take on this as well about just how Cody kind of handled everything. So what did you guys make of Cody Parkey not only missing the kick but then afterwards facing the media and really sort of taking everything kind of like a man? Um, I, I, And I'll kick this off, Joe, again, because I'm the playoff expert. But we played with Cody Parkey in Cleveland, and there was a game, I believe it was 2015. It was either opening week or maybe – was it 2015 or 2016? Probably 15. It was Regardless. 20. Terrell Pryor was in there as our quarterback for a little while, right? And Cody Kessler was the quarterback. It was in Miami, right? It was 20, in Miami. It was Hughes' first season, so that would have been. That was 16, 16 right? 16. All right. Anyway, yep, 16. 16. Anyway, it was early in the season. We're playing down in Miami. Um, I think Cody might have missed like two or three field goals. Well, we signed him like two days before the we game. We signed him. He had a kicker. Injured we or cut something a like good that. kicker. Yeah, we like kept that. a different kicker. The kicker got injured like on a Friday afternoon on accident. 
We fly Cody in from the street. Cody's like at the crib chilling. And we're like, hey, you got to kick in this game for us. And we basically rely on him the entire game. And then late in the game, like by some chance thing with like a couple seconds left, we get the, the Dolphins to fumble and essentially just like one play left, one kick for like 30 yards or something. Cody misses it. As time expires, we go to overtime, we lose the game. We were pissed at Cody for obvious reasons. We just lost the game. We don't even know this dude. He's been on the couch. We probably shouldn't blame him. He hasn't been kicking. He hasn't been doing anything. Um, but he handled that with grace. He wasn't like an a-hole about it. He was like apologetic. And he was like, look, man, you know, I, I should have did this. I should have done that. I should have blank, blank, blank. And it was like, oh, man, I say that to say this. Fast forward now to the Chicago game. In that game, Cody Kessler appears to miss the game-winning field goal Cody with Park. seconds. Exp- what did I say? Cody Kessler. That's right. There was a lot of Cody's in our life in Cleveland. so I know we'll way just, too many Mr. Cody's, Parkey. and it's not my kicker. fault. <laughs> just call him the kicker. So Cody Parkey, they're kicking the game-winning field goal. He misses it. Well, he makes the first one. They ice him. It doinks off the upright, doinks off the crossbar, back into the end zone. He misses it. So everyone's PO'd. Matt Nagy sitting there with the dumbest of dumbest faces. <laughs> Can't believe what just happened to him. But something stuck out to me at the time. Cody Parkey, even after the miss, points up and gives like a thank you, God sign. And you don't have to be religious. You don't have to be a Christian to appreciate this. But what I, what to me that illustrated was like sometimes it's tough for us as athletes when you're playing and things don't go your way to not put everything into context. And the context is that you should still be thankful that you're able to play in the largest stage. And, and, you know, guys always, you've seen it, winning touchdown passes or whatever, they give glory to God or they thank God for the opportunity and they're so happy. And it's like people hate putting God into sports or hate putting, you know, that kind of higher power or faith into sports is because it's when, like, when things go bad, do you still, you know, thank and give honor? Like what, the only things good is when you're thankful. And in this <laughs> specific instance, now this appeared to be the worst play of his life, Right. People were going to run him out of town. He started receiving death threats on Twitter. I read it myself. Mm. People were killing him. People were putting viral videos up of cussing him and his family out. And he's still in his mind, at the presence of mind, to say, you know what? Thank you. It is what it is. It's, you know, it's bigger than, you know, it happens. It's out of my control. I tried my best, but I'm still grateful for the opportunity. Again, you don't have to be religious to understand that in all moments, you should still be thankful, right? And it, there's, it, there's, it's bigger than sports. Long story short. Press me about Cody Kess, Cody Parkey, whatever his name is. <laughs> and then, come to find out, the kick was tipped, Joe. Oh, Trayvon Hester actually tipped the kick. So when Cody faced the media and he faced the music and he stood up there like a champ and said, hey, I thought I had a good hit on it. I'm very disappointed. I let my team down. This is going to kill me for a long time. He didn't back down. He didn't run out of the locker room. He stood up there. He answered the hard questions all the while thinking it was completely his fault. Come to find out, he did hit a good kick. It was tipped, which is why it went wide left, which is why he missed the field goal. And I just thought it was a very, very overall good lesson, Joe. I'm done talking. You go now. No, I think those are all good points. And there's really not a whole lot to dissect here. But I can say that being Cody's teammate in Cleveland, all I can second all the things that you said. He's, a, he's an excellent person. He's a great man. He takes accountability, which is what you don't always – Sports, you know, too often we see the guys that when things are going well, just like we said about thanking God, when things are going well, you want to put yourself in front of the media, you want all the attention on you. And as soon as 
you make a bad play or something doesn't go your way, they're the guys that quickly duck out of the locker room. How many times have you seen this in your career? Guys right. don't even shower after a game because they want to get <laughs> out of there before the media comes in there and asks them the hard questions. I mean, you to me, that's cowardice, Mercer. right? But right. I, want, I want teammates that are going to be the same person every single day. And that means they're going to be accountable when things go well and all of a sudden all the attention and all the acclaim is coming to them. Yeah, that's great. I'm cool with you accepting that. If you were the one that were the reason that the great things happened, you take all the credit. That's okay. I'm okay with that. But then when things go bad, don't be pointing the fingers at everybody else and run out of there acting like it was somebody mm-hmm. else's fault and not taking accountability. So um, I give Cody a lot of respect for sitting in there, for for answering those questions after the game, for not making excuses and not saying, well, oh, it was blocked, it was tipped, whatever the excuse is, oh, they iced me, I made the first one. You could sit there and make a million excuses, but he didn't do that. And I think to me that he will be remembered much more positively and that moment will be remembered much more differently because he did face the music, he didn't make those excuses and when people look back and remember it, they're going to think, wow, yeah, he did take all the blame, even though the kick was tipped and he didn't shank it. It's not like he kicked it off the side of his foot and missed by 20 yards. It was actually a good kick. And he said it, I think, yeah, I, I thought I, I kicked it good, but he wasn't going to point the fingers and say, well, it was blocked or all these other things that happened. And he's a good kicker. He's like a career yeah. 80%. Uh, kicker he was three of four in that game and so while fans always want to point to one play in the game it was all those plays that led up to that that made that a big moment that everybody's going to remember Chicago's offense didn't really do anything almost the entire game so let's not let them off the hook and just put all the blame on the kicker I mean he had four field goal attempts three of four which he made one which was tipped and missed Maybe if the offense would have scored a few more points, they wouldn't have been in that situation. And it would have been kneeling it out right in that situation in the game rather than having to try to kick a field goal to win the game. So um, there's always plenty of blame to go around. But I think one thing we as players recognize that all those guys in that locker room, those are humans too. You know, those are people with families and regular lives. And if they weren't football players, they just would be regular Joe Blows on the street like anybody else. But when you're on big Joe Blows, but. Yeah, when you're on the field and you're playing a sport, a lot of times fans, they don't see that these are actually also humans and they don't recognize that, which is okay. I understand it. When I was a kid growing up, I didn't see Brett Favre and Reggie White as regular people with real feelings and real families and real shit and problems in their lives. I just saw them as the heroes that they were in my mind. And so it's easy for fans to get carried away and quickly pull up the phone and and start yelling into their phone about how much they hate Cody Parkey and they want his family to die and they want him to be tortured and all this ridiculous stuff. But I think sometimes you need to just take a little pause, a little time out and, and think about how you could be impacting somebody. And maybe if you're really mad and it feels good to, to record yourself on your phone, instead of po- posting it on social media and fueling the fire that's raging outside of uh, the Cody Parky compound with more tweets and more videos and vitriol and things like that that are only served to make yourself feel better, just take a little pause, take a deep breath like I tell my daughter, maybe record it, keep it to yourself, and the next day, if you still feel like you need to be a horrible human being and you need to tweet something awful about Cody Parkey, okay, then maybe hopefully 
clearer heads have prevailed. And if they haven't, you still suck as a person and go ahead and post it on social media <laughs> and make yourself feel better by putting somebody else down, which incidentally enough is the worst quality of human beings of all time where <laughs> you take pleasure in somebody else's pain. There is no worse quality in the human race than me feeling happy and excited because I've made somebody else feel like shit. Right. But there's a difference between like you just said, when you were a kid, you didn't realize that they were real people. But there's like grown adults that are even older than you posting selfie videos of themselves, cussing people out. Like it just doesn't make sense to me that you're a grown adult and you do that and you even post it to social media just wanting to go viral. No, I I totally get it. And and here's the thing. It's it's a double sided sword because. I totally understand that the reason that we as athletes are able to go out there and make millions of dollars and play an amazing sport and get fame and fortune, and it's because people are so passionate about this game. It's because it affects every facet of their life, whether the Bears win that game or lose that game, and it's what people talk about, and it emotionally impacts every single person that's a Bears fan and every single person that's a a football fan and every single person that's an Eagles fan, it makes them feel some type of way. And I get it. And that's, what's great about it. But at the same time, there has to be a little part of you that says, Hey, pause. There are still bigger things that are going on in this world. There, there is more than just whether the bears won or lost in this game. We got to understand that and keep things in a little bit of perspective. So I do understand and I appreciate how great and impactful this game is. But at the same time, when something like that happens, we can't try to ruin somebody's life. I feel like I was just going to say, I feel like there are very few things in life outside of sports where people care and let themselves get swept up in emotions like sports is so this has become such like a fabric of like American society that like even when I was younger watching Browns games or Cavs games or whatever, like it used to affect my whole day. I used to have to like on Sundays, (laughs) I would just have to like, if the Browns lost, I'd be like, all right, I'm going to my room. I'm going to sit here for hours because I'm so upset. Like, it is <laughs> it is so fascinating to me how sports has become this thing that people, like, you saw that viral video of that dude, that Bears fan, that grown man, like, just screaming obscenities yesterday. And it's just like, man, if you could see yourself right now, if you were somebody else walking and looking at yourself right now, you'd be like, whoa, what am I doing? But it just, yeah. like, sports turns people into crazy people, and it yeah. is, it's like nothing else I've ever witnessed. Here's my thing. I don't want to tamper the emotion or the excitement because I understand you can't have one without the other. But at the same time, it's it's really off-putting as a former player, especially to see people posting on social media death threats over somebody who was trying their hardest to do their job, who had a kick that was partially blocked and it didn't go in, and now potentially life ruined. Yeah, I mean, it's you don't think that Cody Parkey feels the same way. Like seriously, no, do you think feels in way worse. situation you feel that bad? the athlete he feels, feels worse. you know, like think about the J.R. Smith situation where he forgot the time was running off the clock and <laughs> he made a, a bonehead. I don't play. like how much Nat is smiling right now. I'm not into it. Good All time. right. <laughs> to me though, that 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 play is less forgivable because that's but just. I get it. I, I, Joe's gonna roast no, Joe, JR. Hold on, give him a second. That, that's being a bonehead. It's not like Cody Puggy like just forgot he was supposed that's to. That's where kick Joe draws the line. Like he Joe gave his best effort. Chicago Bears fan on that one. Not give his best effort. 
He that's was, you just upset that you had to send out uh, 1.6 million signed Steph Curry jerseys. Oh, that, that wasn't JR. But the point I was no trying point. to make is you don't think J.R. Smith still feels horrible to this day about that? I don't know like, about that. I feel like J.R. feels pretty good on a daily basis. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. All right, guys. Let's take a quick break to talk about our friends over at Toyota. Toyota isn't just a car company. And the new podcast, Toyota Untold, isn't just about cars. It's about mobility. It's about overcoming challenges, like me trying to ease up on the soda. It's about helping people move physically, socially, and emotionally. It's about finding solutions, like we try to do for Nat's horrible hot takes, to no avail. When you think Toyota, you think sustainability, triumph, facing fears, celebrating life, and rethinking what's possible. In Toyota Untold, you'll hear unique and insightful behind-the-scenes stories, such as how a son's love for his mother led to Toyota's unlikely origin as an automated loom company, why and how a Toyota Tundra was used to tow a space shuttle through the streets of L.A., and how robotics, other advanced technologies, and mobility services are being researched and developed to address the challenges for the elderly, disabled, and even Olympic and Paralympic athletes. Discover how Toyota is rethinking mobility in the brand new podcast, Toyota Untold. You can find Toyota Untold right now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. All right, now let's get back to the show. Well, Joe, you talked about athletes are people too, and if without sport, they'd just be walking around like any Joe Schmo in the street. Is it weird to you, like, when you look at me, are you like, yo, that dude is really short? Like, are you like, that's a, like, short, like, Like, on a human. daily basis? Yes. Yeah, like, I mean, just in general, like, people who are, like, aren't 6'8". Because for me, the weirdest thing in the world there's like two really, really weird things. Um, since I've been five, I was scared of like the little cush balls with the little, like they were just really weird how they would stop and they wouldn't stop moving. So when I was five, I was scared of them. And it's just, it was really weird. <laughs> to this day, I'm a little weirded out by cush balls. The second thing is really, really big humans who don't play sports. So if you're like 6'8", <laughs> like 280, and you're, like you're, you're kind of an ogre. I, like I, I don't want to be mean, but that's like even more weird to me than someone who's a short, like really big regular people. Are like, oh man, that sucks. Like, you ever, you ever NBA, see like a six eight person in a, in a coffee shop and be like, oh, did you play sports? And they're like, no. And you're like, well, then what do? You, what is it that you do? I don't understand. <laughs> then, <laughs> then why are you six eleven? I don't get. Like, why wouldn't someone put a basketball in your hand just for a little bit? Like, could you imagine Joe Thomas just being a regular person, just walking around, just bigger than everyone? Like, regardless, it's like, oh, really big guy. What do you kind of? What do you here for, Joe? I feel like I'm right on the border, though. I'm six, six and a half, six, seven. If I was any taller, then people would be looking at me, I think, a little bit more strange. Because then you're you're abnormally tall, I feel like. And you have to play basketball at that point. But six, six, you can still be kind of a normal person. You could play football. You, like, there's other options. But once you get over yeah. that threshold of, like, six, seven, you're either a basketball player or you're a flop. Yeah, like, I wouldn't – I don't know, man. Like, Mo Bamba, me and Mo Bamba did an interview – and I hang out with a lot of tall guys. I don't know why. Me and Andre Drummond went to the ESPYs together one year. And it was just weird. It was like, just as weird as I was, you were just as equally weird. Like, being seven one, you might as well be 5'2". To know, me. That's kind of bizarre that you hang out with a lot of tall people because it reminds me of the uh, the hot chick that hangs out with ugly chicks to make herself look hotter. Or, like, let's say the uh, the so you think I hang out chick. with tall guys to make myself look shorter? But that, that's why I'm saying it's bizarre. <laughs> like, you would think a short guy would hang out with even shorter dudes so that he yeah. doesn't feel as minuscule and uh, worthless in life. But you hang out well, with pe- taller people, and it makes you feel even more <laughs> worthless. 
No, no, no. Because when you're very, very confident, I'm like the, I'm like the Napoleon. I'm like, I don't care how Napoleon, tall you are. A, I'll still kick your ass. Napoleon complex. B, huh? It's, <laughs> I, I'm like so confident that it's like it just oozes. People are like, yo, you shouldn't be this confident, and you know, it's just who I am, Joe. I don't know what to tell you, <laughs> Joe. Zarm, right. what else we got? Man? What's the next wild card? Game? Um, yeah, we went on a bit of a tangent there. Do we want to hit Shit's on? Getting weird. Do you guys want to hit on Nick Foles real quick? Just about like, I, oh, Nick Foles. Why is he so good right now? Like, and like what, how does this keep happening? Is he a magician or is he actually good at football? I just can't make the determination. This time last year, we were talking about should the Browns sign him, and even though we have Baker Mayfield, I'm just saying it wouldn't be a bad backup. It just just put it out there. The dude balls in the postseason. He, for some reason, he just gets it done. The, why are the Eagles players rallying around him more than they did Carson Wentz? A lot of unanswered questions, Joe. What are your thoughts? I really don't have a good answer for this because we'll think back to last year. Carson Wentz was the MVP front runner when he got hurt, but then they yeah. won the Super Bowl with Nick Foles. So it's not like he was playing bad. But then this year, they weren't a very good team with Carson Wentz, and everyone was wondering what was going on. All of a sudden, Nick Foles comes in, and they they go on this great run, and now they're in the divisional round of the playoffs again. And my my thought is this. More than it's Nick Foles, but Nick Foles has been doing a good job, but more than just Nick Foles, I think this is a team overall of players that plays well and plays better when their back's against the wall. They really have embraced that underdog role. And at the beginning of this season, being the defending Super Bowl champs, I feel like the mentality maybe was they were a little bit more lackadaisical. But as soon as they became the underdog again, it kind of hardened their resolve and and it uh, kind of coalesced them as a team. And it just so happened that Nick Foles came in at just about the same time that they had to win almost every game and their backs were against the wall and they started playing that underdog role. And then now they're going on a run again. Just like that, man. Some people just like being the underdog. Yeah. Like there are people that I've, we've played with that when they're the underdog or people don't expect much out of them, they play really, really well, like lights out because they pride themselves on overachieving and proving people wrong. And then when they're in the position of expectation, meaning that people expect you to do that, so they don't rise to the occasion. They don't take it to a new level. They actually kind of curl up into a ball because – expectation makes them nervous so you have mm -hmm. to jedi mind trick yourself into believing you're the underdog mm -hmm. the eagles nick Foles, the former super bowl mvp they've done an incredible job of jedi mind tricking us themselves into believing that they are the underdog when in actuality they're probably the most talented roster coming into the season they are the defending super bowl champs and somehow we're still looking at them like oh i don't know how they're doing it but they already did it already but again they get, they pull out the uh the dog mask they say nobody expects this out of us like well we actually all kind of expect it but whatever you have to say to yourself to make yourself play well <laughs> more power to you and it's working they beat the bears in the first round of the playoffs and i don't think anybody expected that because i was almost positive khalil mack was going to murder somebody at some point but it didn't happen <laughs> A lot of defense in that game. All right, what's next? A lot of defense. All, all right, right, what we got um, next? <clears throat> all right, guys. So the, one of the other big stories that kind of came out of the wild card weekend was <clears> – <throat> so the Houston Texans got beat pretty badly by the Annapolis Colts 21-7. Um, a lot of people were giving Deshaun Watson a lot of heat because when they were down 21 nothing, Deshaun ran for a couple of first downs, one of them right by the Indianapolis Colts bench. And he started doing the first down signaling. He was celebrating a little bit. And he, Steve Smith sort of went off on him on Good Morning Football. Other people have gone off on Deshaun Watson about this. I was curious on your guys' take about Deshaun Watson celebrating some first downs in this playoff game when they were down 21 to nothing. 
Ooh, man, I I can't say that I cared, to be honest. Nothing surprises me at this point. People celebrate with anything. Deshaun Watson, <laughs> it does seem out of character because he doesn't seem like a very you know celebratory kind of guy. But whatever, maybe it's getting people going. Maybe it's trying to juice his guys. They're down 21 nothing in the playoff game in Houston, which is a very tough place to play. So kudos to Andrew Luck. I could say that I could see where Steve Smith could talk about it, but something tells me that there's been a time or two where Steve Smith has probably given a first down signal when he was down as well. But one of my general rules of life is don't talk about Steve Smith in a negative way because he'll punch you in the face. <laughs> so I'm going um, to cut it off there and let Joe take it from here. I'm not a big fan of this, and the reason is because it seems like it's out of Deshaun Watson's character to give that sort of um, antagonistic first down signal right in front of the Colts bench when you're down and you're not playing so well. I want somebody who's going to be kind of consistent, be the same person every single day. I want to know what to expect from, from my teammates I'm okay with a guy that's always excited, that's always full of celebration, and and it doesn't matter what it is because that's who he is, right? And sometimes it gets players going, and that's cool. And I understand that maybe you want to energize your team, but I think you need to have a little bit of uh, self-awareness that you can get excited and try to pump your team up without – looking like a jackass and giving a first down signal when you're, when you're getting your asses handed to you. When you already got kicked off the, the Madden sticks. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, exactly. But I, I think this, this is why I'm always a big fan of just an even tempered approach and never getting too excited with too much celebration because I think it leads you to be an up and down player. And then it can kind of lead to an environment of an up and down front runner type team because when things are going well everybody's doing the celebration and you're giving the signals and stuff but then as soon as things aren't going so well you're not celebrating you're kind of moping around you're not bringing that same energy and so I don't think you get that same consistency that you want from a player and and when you look at all the great teams and players throughout history it's been consistency that's one of the big themes when I think about Barry Sanders and one of the things he's most well known for is whether it was a first down or a touchdown or a loss of five yards, he was just going to hand the ball to the ref. So that allowed him to go out and just be consistent and not lead to big emotional swings throughout the game for him and his teammates. And I would say, and I would encourage young players and all the Tama Flocky and NFL players that listen, if you're just a little bit more measured with your approach to your celebrations, I think it's going to lead to better success down the line. Now, I think it leads to more of a boring game. I love when Cam Newton does the stupid celebrations because as soon as he's getting his ass kicked, everybody's doing the celebrations back in his face. <laughs> Just like we saw from Josh Norman and our guy Taylor Lewan. When, yeah, uh, when Josh almost Josh kicked Taylor's Norman ass. Doing great, great, he's out there doing the bow and arrow celebration. And as soon as somebody makes a great play on him or his team loses, everyone's going to go throw it back in his face. And that's what makes sports exciting for fans. But I think it does lead to uh, less than quality overall performance because it impacts your consistency uh, from a player individually and from a team standpoint. And anyone in the time of flock who follows me, I'm going to tell you the opposite. <laughs> Every chance you get, celebrate. <laughs> As a guy who didn't celebrate, my one of my chief regrets is that when I scored, I didn't make more of a spectacle. The, the, the fans love the fact that I didn't celebrate much or I was consistent. Yeah, I was consistent, but 
I was always nervous that if I celebrated, that it wouldn't it would lead to me not scoring again or something would happen and be and I was always nervous it was going to get thrown back in my face and here I am on this side of it. I'm never going to score a touchdown ever again. I'm never going to have a first down ever again. It seemed like it went so lightning fast and an eight or nine year career just snap and it was over and I'm like, man, I should have danced more. I should have did things that was that made it more memorable because the moments are so little and you work so hard just for those few times to score. So when you get a chance, if you if you if you feel it, go ahead, do the Dougie, bust it out if that's what you're feeling. Do the whip, Millie Rock. Do the hip thrust. I don't care. Back it up like like Beyonce. Whatever it is, don't listen to Joe. That's all mm. I'm saying, guys. And it, Joe never even had a first down. Mm. Who do you think mm. he is, Joel Batonio or something? <laughs> you don't run the rock like Joel. Oh, Joe. boy. That hurts. You know? All right. I'm going to push back a little bit because I feel that your greatest celebration and one of the greatest of all times was the, uh, the anti-celebration that you did uh, in honor of Roger Goodell. And nobody would have noticed that had you celebrated like a jackass every time you scored. Because True. if you do the same jackass celebration all the time, people are going to forget about it. But when you do something different, that's when people take notice. You know what, Joe? You completely flipped my mind. You're right. That was an incredible celebration. <laughs> and I appreciate it. All right, guys. Uh, we also have uh, the Chargers took down Baltimore in Baltimore. And Lamar Jackson. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Real quick. No, you're not sorry. We're going to rewind a little bit. I'm so sorry. The Colts. I, we didn't give them any. Oh, yeah. We gave no up to because the Colts. We just, like, we just talked about something that literally nobody cares about in the playoffs <laughs> without saying that the Colts went down there and whooped the Houston Texans. Andrew Luck, we, we wrote him off at one point in the season and said he had a noodle arm and he would never play football again. And here he is wheeling, dealing, slicing, and dicing defenses up. Coach Reich. Frank Reich. After Josh McDaniels accepts the job, declines, he's the plan B, and he has this team playing the way they are. We had Eric Ebron on earlier in the season. He's still balling in the playoffs. We got to give a round of applause to the Indianapolis Colts team and probably one of the more dangerous wild card teams now that Andrew Luck is playing at a top level. I'm really impressed with Frank Reich. Uh, he seems like he's a really smart guy. I remember when Josh McCann was with the Browns, he told me, about Frank Reich and how he was going to be a great coach someday. And he mm. kind of backed into this job thanks to Josh McDaniels taking it and then uh, slapping the Colts in the face and saying he didn't want to be a head coach for the Indianapolis Colts. He'd rather be an offensive coordinator for Tom Brady. But the Colts fans are thanking him right now, let me tell you, because Frank Man. Reich knows how to get the most out of his players. He knows how to adjust his game plan to his players' attributes he knows how to minimize their weaknesses he knows how to attack a defense he knows how to motivate he just seems like he's like the perfect steady hand head coach that you want in the nfl and he's got andrew luck playing to his full potential something that we haven't seen from any of andrew luck's coaches throughout his entire career i'm really impressed right now i think andrew luck is a top five quarterback and that's not something we could say last year or even really mm -hmm. and at any point throughout his career in my opinion I, it's it's hard to argue, man. He's playing top ball, and it, you know he's not relying just on his ability. There's guys who have a ton of ability, and then there's guys who just understand the game. Andrew Luck is understanding the game, and his arm is getting back to where it was at at, at the height of it, you know, early on in his career. And I think that's why he's putting the pieces together because this roster isn't terribly different, with the exception of the offensive line, who went from. 32nd in the league and sacks allowed to number one. So they're keeping them clean, and Andrew Luck mm -hmm. is, you know, he's, he's able to there. sit back there in the pocket and 
<laughs> Again, they're, they're paying dividends. Yeah, well, this yeah, brings up that- an interesting discussion here. How thankful should the Indianapolis Colts fans be to Josh McDaniels for at one point a year ago this time, he was like the most hated man in Indianapolis because he took the job, he hired a staff, and then right before he was ready to like basically move in and become the coach, he said, nah, I don't really like the Colts. And he went back to the Patriots. <laughs> But now they got their guy in Frank Reich, who turns out could be one of the best coaches in the NFL right now. And Josh McDaniels might not even be a head coach ever again because it doesn't seem like he's the sexy name anymore. Well, he's still getting interviews. He'll probably be a head coach if he's not the New England guy eventually. But, yeah, you're right. I mean, it's it was a blessing in disguise for the Colts fans. And we said that last year. I mean, we said that you don't. the last thing you want is a guy coming in to coach your football team that doesn't really want to be there. So imagine if he still took that job. And he just went through the motions. This this would not have happened where they are now. They're heading into the second round of the playoffs, a place where last year, again, this was one of the worst teams in football. Like, they were an easy win to everyone on the schedule. And now look at them. They're in the hunt for, for Lombardi. Um, so I got a question, then, uh, if we have time, like I said. We always have time, Joe. It's your show. It's, you're in the College Football Hall of Fame. I am with the, I am the face. first name on you the You're the chubby face, Joe, pictures out there. Is that the, the pictures they're going to share – is it going to, are they going to be Wisconsin pictures? I had a real chubby face at Wisconsin. I know. I, can't I mean, wait. I've had a chubby face since I was 19 when I gained 50 pounds to go play offensive tackle. Had you asked me to do this podcast when you were skinny, Joe, I would have said no. <laughs> but you. the fact that you were still kind of big, Joe, at the time, it, it reeled me in. So seeing these throwback <laughs> pictures of you, look at that makes, chubby Makes burn, you love you know. me all over again. It just, it, it, it reminds me of why we fell in love Other in the camera first place. Sorry. <laughs> oh, look at that sexy oh, guy. Oh, yeah. Look at well, the circumference Chick on Megan in college that. Right there. Check that out. All right, what do you got for me, Joe? So here's my question. And this is something that people have talked about and I've hypothesized and thought about it because I've had several Bill Belichick disciples coach me and out of all the people that have coached under Bill Belichick and gone on to be head coaches, none of them have had success in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Whereas you look at, let's say the Mike Holmgren coaching tree, some of the other Bill Walsh, those guys, they've had a lot of successful head coaches underneath them. Why do you think that all the Bill Belichick assistants that have gone on to be head coaches in the NFL have failed? I think the reason is control to implement the Bill Belichick system of how he runs an organization. The number one factor is control. And typically when you bring in an assistant to another organization who has a certain way of doing things, they don't relinquish that amount of control to anybody. Bill Belichick has earned that overtime in new England and he is able to make those calls. Every call I'm talking about, he decides what interviews players do or whether or not they're allowed to do interviews at one point in the season. And, specifically comes to his desk he picks what they eat for lunch like he has the final say on everything and most organizations won't give that solely to the head coach because a gm is typically bringing in a head coach and they have their control over the roster so until an organization picks a bill belichick disciple and says hey we're gonna let you pick the players we're gonna let you coach the team we're gonna give you a final say over everything x organization related it will not work because that uh dick Tatorship only works if you have complete control and none of these guys ever get complete control so it just creates chaos it creates turmoil 
players are going to this guy. Players don't respect this. You're coming in with a new way of doing things. Things are super hard. Typically, you take it to the next level of hard because that's how New England does it. And again, players aren't ready for that. GMs aren't ready for that. Owners aren't ready for that. Everybody wants to have their say, and Bill Belichick is the only say in New England. Interesting. I look at it a little bit differently. So when Bill Belichick hires a coach, what he's actually hiring is just a football fan. He's hiring somebody that didn't really play major college football, didn't play in the NFL, isn't even a coach anywhere. A lot of times he's just hiring a salesman. He's hiring somebody that's in the business world. He's hiring a scientist. Um, He's hiring somebody that just loves football and is willing to give up everything in their life to come in apprentice under Bill Belichick to learn every single thing that Bill Belichick knows about football. And they basically take him for 10 years. They put him in a cave. They make him watch football. They make him break down tape. And then they slowly work their way up in the organization. So they have no background in football other than what Bill Belichick has taught them. It's like being somebody who reads a book and memorizes a book versus somebody who wrote the book. Bill Belichick wrote the book. It's like uh, the great book, The Joy of Cooking. If I sit there and I read it, I can know a lot about cooking. And if something comes up that was in those pages, I have memorized it and I'm able to copy it perfectly. But if something comes up that has happened outside of the, the pages in that book, I don't know how to handle it because I didn't learn how to learn. All I learned how to do was memorize what I've been told and what I've been taught. It's a lot like the Chinese model versus the USA model in the education system. The Chinese model is you you just squirrel these people away and they learn all these different things in, in the books and they don't have the real world experience. They don't have an opportunity to let their brains be creative and learn things outside of just their uh, science or their math based And so in China, they have all these great scientists, but they have no creativity. That's why all the great companies in our lifetime, uh, the Apples, the Googles, they were all created in America. Because in America, while we don't have as many great scientists as China does, we allow for creativity. We allow for independent thought. And I think that's a big reason why the Belichick tree doesn't succeed is because everybody learns how to dress like Bill Belichick that, that works for him. Everybody learns the X's and O's and the scheme that Bill Belichick runs and how he runs his meetings and how he holds his players accountable, but they don't understand the reasons behind it. And they, they weren't able to explore their own brains and they weren't able to find a broad base of learning, working for different coaches and seeing the things that they liked and they didn't like. And they weren't able to allow their own personalities and their own upbringings, their own perspectives on the game to shine through in their coaching careers All they know how to do is try to be the robot of Bill Belichick. And that might work for a little bit of time, like we saw with Josh McDaniels in Denver. He he started out like 6-0, and right? But then all of a sudden, things start to happen that that you didn't learn in the Bill Belichick book of coaching. And you don't know how to handle it. It's like you panic because you haven't ever worked for anybody else. You don't know how to handle some of these situations that don't come up. And I think that's a big reason why these guys have have failed by and large. Whereas you look at like uh, the coaches that have coached under Mike Holmgren. Um, let's see the, the Andy, Andy Reed, John Tony Dungy, Tony Dungy, 
John Harbaugh. These are all guys that have had a broad coaching career that have worked for many different guys, but also I think in the coaching tree they learned and it wasn't so regimented and rigid, whereas you just learn exactly what I do and I say, and then you regurgitate it when you go to a different team. It doesn't seem to work. Yeah, and maybe that's by design. Maybe Bill Belichick is a scientist and he says, I'm going to prepare these guys to fail. That way, I will always be supreme chief coach. Because all those other coaching trees, all those guys major in managing people. They teach their coaches like how to manage people, how to manage players, how to do this. And Bill Belichick, it's X's and O's. So you take those X's and O's and those, those uh, hard, regimented uh, workouts and systems and they just – they're square pegs and round holes in other organizations. Yeah, um, speaking it's of street smarts versus book smarts. Yeah, exactly. You know, and speaking of square teaching. pegs and round holes, let's talk Lamar Jackson. Let's do it. Did you see the, the Baltimore Chargers game? I watched it. I tweeted at you. I'm sure you saw that. I, I promised yeah. to allow you, you to give me there, a swirly right? if Lamar Jackson was able to lead them back on a big comeback to win, and thank God that didn't happen. He almost did. It would have been really so, awkward with my feet up in the air and your hand, your little hands on my big ankles. <laughs> I would have done I would have just rested you on my, my dad. We may have to um, delete that part. Yeah, that way. Edit <laughs> <laughs> that one out. That is, yeah, let's get or weird. Or maybe leave it in there. It's kind of funny. Uh, so Lamar didn't play great early on. Uh, he was like three for ten at one time. At one point, he went like a hundred minutes without completing a pass, <laughs> and everyone's saying he had a really, really tough day. And I'm not arguing that it was a tough day. He was like he's 20 years old, 21, playing in the playoffs. He's the youngest player to ever start a game at quarterback in the NFL playoffs. He did not throw the ball well until late in the game when they kind of were forced to open it up. So I beg the question: what What was your take on Lamar's performance? Um, and also. Is he the answer long-term for the for the Baltimore Ravens? Well, they're going to have to give him a chance to be the answer long-term, but I think after three, four years, it's going to show itself that until he learns to be a consistent pocket passer, he's not going to be able to get away with trying to be a guy that runs the ball 20 times. And really, he brought him back not because he was throwing the ball down the field, but because he made a couple of nice, really big runs. Then he started running around in the pocket a couple times and had bought his receivers enough time to get open. So I don't think long-term he'll be able to, first of all, stay healthy because he gets hit so damn much. But also, you saw the Chargers. They came up with a really good game plan. They just put a shitload of DBs on the field. They basically just had everybody keeping their eyes on Lamar Jackson. So as soon as he got out of the pocket, you had a bunch of athletes that could run after him and almost keep up with his legs versus mm-hmm. the traditional, you know, seven big guys with four defensive linemen and three linebackers or three and four, however you want to split it. And then only four DBs where you don't have enough speed on the field to be able to keep up with them. But th- I thought the chargers came up with a really good game plan. They did a great job from start to finish. And even when Jackson was starting to make a few plays with his feet, he doesn't throw the ball well enough where if they get behind, he's going to be able to bring them back. And I don't think they can count on having a number one defense every year throughout his career where they're never going to be behind and they're just going to be able to run the ball 40 times every game. Some people were calling for them to put Joe Flacco in. That was me. I was, I was against... one of them. I was saying, but hey, that... they're, they're too far behind. He's not going to be able to bring them back with only running the football. They need somebody that can sit there in the pocket and throw the ball. But here's the thing. Here's why you can't put Joe Flacco in for two reasons. Number one, you're breaking ties with Joe Flacco. Everybody knows that it was probably a, a, the reason you sat him down in the first place. Yep. Which means 
if we, if you go to Joe Flacco, which we've talked about here on the Tomahawk Show, how could you then look Lamar Jackson in the face and say you're our quarterback for next year, that when you were playing bad, we decided to go with the guy behind you because we didn't think you could get it done. Also, they are 6-1 and one with Lamar Jackson. Say what you want about the defense. They weren't 6-1 and one prior to that. And to be honest, that stretch of games, and they were almost 7-0 and oh because they came really close to beating the Chiefs, that stretch of games probably saved Harbaugh's job. It did. So now Har- Harbaugh, you're going to bench the kid who was a starter, basically helped save your job in the playoff game, the biggest game of his life because he's not playing well. He wasn't playing well. But also if you look at the numbers, he led the game in passing and rushing. He was the highest rusher and passer of the game. So he passed more than than Phillip Rivers, who does not play well in the playoffs. And, again, Phillip Rivers was going against a really good defense, so they were just dinking and dunking and weren't really pushing the ball down the field. But overall, I don't think he played terrible, at least down the stretch. And I get that, you know, once you go down big, defense is kind of lax and they kind of take their foot off the gas pedal and it becomes a little easier. But it really came down to, like, two or three plays where they still had a chance to score late in the game and, and win the football game. Overall, he has to get better. He has to develop as a passer. Or they have to get a play caller in there that plays to his strengths a little bit more. I During the game, I was on the radio on my show on ESPN, and I said that if they don't open up this playbook, if they don't stop babying him from, hey, we're just going to zone read it the entire game, then there's no way they'll win. They have to, at some point, trust his arm or at least see what they have because you can't win a football game just running it that way when they have seven DBs on the field just running down your quarterback. Yeah, NFL coaches and players are way too smart, and they're too good at adapting to different schemes and personnel to be able to just do the same thing all the time. And you can't just run a a quarterback all day without people figuring it out. And you saw the Chargers figure it out. And so while I don't doubt that Lamar was um, the main reason why they were six and one down the stretch, and he and he was saving Harbaugh's job, like you mentioned. And this type of a scheme can be successful in the short term. Long term, he won't be able to stay healthy and people are going to figure it out. If you can't throw the football consistently in the NFL, teams are going to figure out whatever your gadgetry is. They're going to find a defense to stop it and they're going to make you throw the football. It reminds me of the Dolphins from like 10, 12 years ago when they were running that wildcat. Remember with Ronnie Brown and and people couldn't stop it. I mean, Ronnie Brown obviously was less of a threat to throw the football than Lamar Jackson, but people were really having a hard time with it. It was smash mouth. People struggled. Mm -hmm. But then all of a sudden, they came up with a defense that could stop it. And as soon as that happened, there was no answer. The only thing offensively in the NFL that there is no answer for is an accurate throw and catch that's on time. Yep. And if you don't have that in your offense, whatever gadgetry and gizmo tree that you got, it's going to get figured out after a stretch of games and teams are going to find a defense and a way to stop it. And then you're going to have to throw the ball eventually. So long-term for Lamar, he's got to learn how to throw the ball more effectively. You saw that he can still run around and throw the ball guys can get open, but you got to be able to do that within the confines of an offense. If you want to have long-term success. Golly, I hate when you're right, Joe, and you're, you're right so often. Thank you. All right. Now, now, like we talked about, this is the one-year anniversary of the Tomahawk Show. It's been one year since we've been gracing your airwaves. We know you love it. We love it. It's time to jump into some really, really um, – what is the word I'm looking for, Joe? Amazing. Amazing. Okay. That's <laughs> very deep vocabulary. Amazing times that we've had here on the Tomahawk Show. Some of the best moments. We're going to play them, and let's just react to them, right? Let's just – Let's figure out what our DJ, uh, Fat Nat, Fat Natty. What is her? What is her nickname? Oh, is it Fat Nat or Natty Ice? 
What, where did Fat Nat come from? That is your Twitter name. Where does that even come from? With the PH, by the way, which is very millennial. That's just been my social media handle since I first got social media, and I never changed it, and I never will. Right. But why? You, you don't want to rethink but it? why? Fat Nat with three Ts? I, somebody suggested it, and I stuck with it because it rhymes, and it was cool. <laughs> yep. Fat Nat, PH. Yeah, there was I can tell you got on Twitter when you were PH 17. All right, well, all right. So Fatty Natty Ice, Nat but not least. All right, so we're going to play some of the top moments, and then we're going to react. So before we get into that, you know, it's the one-year anniversary, and I just wanted to say thank you both because you guys have been supporting me since day one and eventually brought me onto the show, which was really fun for me, and I was never expecting to do that, and Hawk is about to cry, so. You know what, Nat? I'm getting teary-eyed <laughs> over here because. That was really sweet. I wasn't ready to get sentimental, but we appreciate you. If for people don't know that Nat has been behind the scenes the entire time. She cuts up all the episodes. She puts together the final product that you hear every single week. Zerm is our producer, so he produces the shows. Nat has now come to the forefront, and now she is a superstar podcaster herself. Influencer. She has a, a crazy Twitter following. Influencer. We have companies sending her gifts. Um, Sugar daddies. Just throwing themselves at her, and she's just beating them <laughs> off with sticks. Me and Joe NBA never players. had anybody throw themselves at us because we're lame, which is why we do audio is because we're not very good looking. There's no TV shows. <laughs> um, but, yeah, we appreciate you, Nat, everything you do you do here. And, I mean, seriously, you were a day one, and we wouldn't be able to do this without you. So onward and upwards in the Tomahawk Show, let's play some really cool stuff. Thank you. Now I'm going to cry. Um, so we put together, like, the top five player moments from the year from all of our episodes, and we also have a couple fan voicemails. So one of the top player moments that is a highlight is when we had Johnny Manziel come on the show. And, you know, we always break news on this show, right? So mm -hmm. he decided to come on and tell in detail his Billy Vegas story. So I had this reckless, reckless plan. So I fly out there, I land, and this is where I messed up. <laughs> So I got a plan at Hollywood. And then I'm like, you know what? That craps table's calling my name, man. That, that blackjack table's calling my name. I go and sit down. The guy IDs me and, like, takes a look at the at the Because there's TV. so many John takes a, takes a look at the, the TV right behind me, and there's, like, an announcement. that like, my name's on the bottom of the ticker. It's like a brown something. So right after that happened, walk in to grab a drink, and this guy just zeroes in on me. And he's like, I know that guy. It happens to be like a reporter that has like probably like a couple thousand followers, but still got the blue check. So he's got like a yeah, little yeah, bit yeah. of juice. So he's, he's like, a little like, legit. And then I'm into straight damage mode. I'm like, <laughs> do I catch this flight at 10? Like, I don't know. Hakkasan's going to be pretty lit tonight. I don't really want to <laughs> go home. I don't really want to go home. So I'm like, oh, okay. Like, I'm not going to be able just to go in with a hat. Like, let's go get a <laughs> let's go get a wig and so i just get on google type in nearest wig shop and just go somewhere off the strip very very sketchy and just walk into this place and and this little like lady comes up she's like what you want on your hair honey like what you want i'm like i need something that makes me not look like this do you have a mustache do you have a, a wig do you have anything and, and she came back with this wig and i put it on in two seconds and i'm like perfect How'd you come up with the name Billy Vegas? I didn't. The people, yeah, in, the, people. In, uh, the people in in Cleveland who do those uh, oh, who do those t-shirt oh, companies. The next day, as soon as it dropped, they made those t-shirts and probably made a million dollars <laughs> oh, off no. it. Just more exploitation. <laughs> wow. Oh man, what a crazy story, man. I mean, the, my favorite part about that, and I know, 
for Cleveland fans, like they loved to hear it, but then they also weren't super excited about that being their starting quarterback. But it was just a wild, like, who thinks of that, man? What a what a crazy time in Johnny Manziel's life. But it was cool that he was coming, he would come on the show and he kind of told that story. He had never told it before, and he told it here on the Tomahawk show because he felt so comfortable and he understood like where we were with our uh you know our our podcast and and it was just a place where he can open up and that's what we wanted this show to be in the first place all right i got a question for zerm now that the browns have the greatest rookie quarterback in history with baker mayfield do you think browns fans are ready to finally laugh about the johnny manzel era and the billy manzel story are they finally able to put that behind him and say you know what that was a disaster we hated the dude but we finally got our guy, so we can laugh about it. It's part of our history. We can accept it just because we got this great Baker Mayfield. Um, yes, I think so. Also, um, you know how, like, certain songs remind you of, like, places you have been, like, in times of your life? Like, oh, like, I was listening to this album when I was there. I was listening to this album when I was there. Like, I very vividly remember driving around Cleveland when this episode of the Tomahawk podcast came out <laughs> and being so excited to listen to it that I would literally just drive random places so I could play it <laughs> because I just wanted to hear the story about Billy Vegas. Um, so that is, that's honestly one of, the, like, the most memorable episodes before I even became a part of the show. Um... I, I do think that because Baker Mayfield is in place that we can sort of look back here in Cleveland on Johnny Mantell's tenure and appreciate it for like the absurd wild ride that it was. <laughs> I remember when he when you guys beat Tennessee when he threw those two long touchdown passes to Travis Benjamin and everybody I was downtown at a friend's house watching it and downtown was crazy I remember like walking around I lived on the west side of Cleveland so I could like walk over the bridge over to Ohio City where I lived and like it was just nuts and then so that was like the peak and then the lows were just <laughs> so many but I, I do I do think that uh, in Cleveland now we can finally like look back at that and laugh because we found Baker Mayfield and we can just like there's got to be a 30 for 30 on Johnny Manziel's time in the NFL coming eventually and uh, I think oh, we will man. be able to watch it with laughter instead of maybe possibly tears yeah hopefully well, that's a good voiced over do you think the the Tomahawk show makes the 30 for 30 are we I mean, good it, part it of it has to. let's get out in front of it it's like, I mean, that was a big deal the first time he decided, like, not only confirming that that entire thing happened, because for such a long time, it was like, there's no way he really was in Las Vegas with a wig. And he, he was. He also gave the Tomahawk show the photo. He sent us the photo to post. So people always ask, how do we get him to tell the story? The, the, the story is, again, Johnny was at, at a point in his life, like back then, where things were wow. We knew what, what kind of what was going on, just like being around him. He wasn't like that in the facility. But it was a rough time for him. We knew that he had problems, issues going on. The coaches and upstairs, did they know? I think they did. And we were more like, yo, you can't put this guy in. Like, this is a bad idea. Everyone <laughs> knows it's a bad idea. But there were other interests at risk, and they just felt like it was the thing to do. So we never really qu quite blamed Johnny because anybody who was around knew he had an issue going on at the time. That being said, at the time of this interview, he was doing a lot better. He was trying to put his life together. He was getting engaged to be married. And even up until now, he's done really, really well. He's still playing in the Canadian Football League, won a couple of games, played really well down the stretch, and he's still putting the pieces together of, of his life. But when he did this interview, when he started getting cleaned up, he sent a message to Joe, sent a message to me, just kind of apologizing for his time in Cleveland because he said as leaders on that team, he felt like he let us down and he apologized. Which he did. He's like, which, you know, <laughs> I mean, that's – 
that's professional football, you know. But yeah. I, I, we appreciated the gestures. So we're like, hey, can you come on the Tomahawk show? He was like, yeah, man, it's the least I could do. And before we got on, I was like, hey, you got to give us the Billy Vega story. And he's like, what? I'm like, dude, if you're coming on the show, if you want to make it up, you, you want to make it up to us? This is the first step. You got to give us Billy uh, Vegas. He was stuff. like, you know what? I'll give you Billy Vegas, and I'll do you a solid. I'll send you the picture you could post. And that was one of the episodes that kind of catapulted us into the mainstream is because everybody wanted to tune in to hear this mm-hmm. bizarre, wild story that it was. So that's the Billy Vegas situation. It has to get really bad before it gets better, and now we have Baker. Well, speaking of Baker – we talked to Baker Mayfield. Well, you guys talked to Baker Mayfield last year at the Super Bowl before he was drafted, before he even knew what his fate was going to be. So let's take a look back at that interview. Let's go top five. Who's your top five quarterbacks all time? Let's hurt some feelings, Baker. <laughs> it's time. Who's your GOAT? GOAT has to come off the top of the head. Brady. 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 All right. So your Brady is the GOAT guy. Either Montana or Peyton Montana. Manning. I'm, I got to put Favre in there. Favre four. four. So now you're just trying to get me to make people mad. Yeah, I'm just going to say I'm going to finish it for him and just say Drew Brees. Because he said he loves Drew Brees, and Drew Brees is an all-time great quarterback. I'll give it to you. Keeper Joe. You're obviously a great baseball player, great football player. Is there anything you're bad at? Like, name one thing that you're bad at. Like, basketball. You can't hoop. Don't put me on a court. Really? That's interesting. If you would have asked me if you could hoop, if I had to guess, I would have put probably 10K. Golly. So, okay, pancakes or waffles? Pancakes. He's a pancake guy. I'm a pancake have you guy. ever put peanut butter on a pancake? No, I have not. But you I should have try put, it. I have put Nutella on one. Nutella. Though. So yeah. that's pretty similar. Pretty close. It's mm. a, uh, a that delicious that? treat. I Nutella. It was Nutella. I think it's Nutella. Nutella. I thought it was Nutella. Okay, I don't know. I'm you asking. just like saying nuts. Yeah, don't I, you? That's I why. always thought it was a weird name. I'm not gonna lie. So I see you're a big <laughs> Justin Timberlake guy. No, absolutely. Last night meeting him was cool. Uh, Where'd you meet him? At so he had an album release party, and so. They had that at uh, Paisley Park Studios, so that was uh, pretty nice, too. So they That's played the awesome. whole album, and as soon as really? it ended, they brought out Revolution, so Prince's band played right after. probably <laughs> super yeah. happy to meet you, Look too. at this. I was. Oh. <laughs> wow. That just, we are really good in-person interviewers, man. Like, that was a joy for me to listen to. It's like not even that is me. It was just a good vibe. Baker had no idea that he was going to be spending the rest of his life with us, and yet here he is, just the chemistry rolling. We should have known then. We should have known then he was going to be a Cleveland Brown. The most shocking thing in that interview was the fact that he can't play basketball. I still feel like he's lying, and he's just <laughs> setting so- somebody up to hustle the shit out of him and take like just white men can't jump in it. Just- yeah, and it's probably you, Hawk. <laughs> Yeah, I, I I definitely would have guessed him as a basketball guy because through the dancing and he kind of has like the right swag for a basketball player, it's still shocking to me that he can't hoop. All right, so another highlight moment was also from the Super Bowl with friend of the show, RG3. We played a little game with him, and it went like this. You had to be on the Tomahawk show yes. this week to play our new game. Was it Robert Griffin III's fault? <laughs> Or, <laughs> or, or oh, was man. it Kevin Love's fault? Okay, so I'm going to start with one here. All right. And this is an easy one. This is LeBron's decision to go to Miami. Yes. Kevin Love or RG3's fault? I think it was RG3's fault. Okay, so 100%. we got one. Ding, ding, ding. All right, All right the next one. Um, this one's an easy one. The Titanic. Kevin Love. Kevin Love Kevin gets his Love first one. No black people in Titanic. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what are point. you talking You're about? You're right. <laughs> if anybody, it was Kevin Love's yes, fault. No doubt. RG3, the, the, the playoff quarterback who just took an L to the Chargers, obviously his fault, man. RG3, uh, Baker, RG3 are two, I think, of our only repeat, repeat guests. 
Yeah, I think I feel like we probably had somebody else, but they're definitely our biggest repeat guests. Those guys just seem to love us. They love the show, and so they always keep asking to come back on when nobody else will come and talk to us. I know, and it's so fun, man. I love having RG3 on. He might, we might add him as a, as a 17th voice when he gets <laughs> done playing in the NFL in 10 years and leading uh, the Baltimore Ravens to three Super Bowls after Lamar Jackson just gives him the keys to the, to the car and says, hey, man, this is rightfully yours. Take the DMV back to the Super Bowl. All right, speaking of repeat guests, we just talked about Pat McAfee. We have had him on the show twice. There you and go. He really seems to like the show and the name of the show and our tagline of the show. Well, the great news about the Tomahawk show is we actually don't have any money that we make. So we wouldn't be splitting up anything and there clearly wouldn't be any issues. So uh, this, I guess, is our little pit that recruit you to the Tomahawk show. I don't certainly like a sideline reporter or maybe even like the uh, coffee boy would be a, a, a position. that's. <laughs> um, what do you think about it? Well, I think a podcast coffee boy is probably the equivalent to a punter with an NFL team. So I, I honestly feel like I'd fit in pretty nice right there. If I could hang out with you guys and talk to you guys on this conference call on a regular basis, I would be honored to grab coffee for you guys and do that for free, for sure. We'll have our legal team hit you up. Our legal team is Joe. So Joe is going to side text you. All right. We appreciate it. Like always, Pat, man, enjoy the rest of your day. And uh, yeah, Joe, hawk yourself, man. Hey, thank you, guys. Take care. Joe, hawk yourself. That's Joe, it. hawk yourself for the brand. Just do it for, for the, the brand. brand. Do it for the brand. We'll send you a T-shirt. Did you say Joe, hawk yourself? <laughs> yeah, welcome. Clearly, he's a, a avid listener. <laughs> you must listen to every episode. That's an incredible tagline. Hey, I like that a lot. Hold on. I think I'm going to start telling people to do that. Tweet it out. Make It'd be sure perfect. You pay us $5 every time you say that. <laughs> Oh, you got to love a good old Joe Hawker stuff. He really, he was tickled by that. <laughs> I love Pat how McAfee. surprised he was. Joe Hawker stuff? What the fuck is like, wait that? Wait a minute. That, that, was, that, was, that was clever. What is going on here? He couldn't believe <laughs> you guys it. guys are usually idiots. Pat McAfee, now a broadcaster for the WWE, which is amazing. It's like probably the perfect job for him. Did, did you hear his, uh, the game he called in Lambeau? No, but I was just watching the reactions on Twitter, and as what you would expect, half the people despised it. You know, like the football <laughs> traditionalists, the people that don't get the barstool stuff, and the Pat McAfee show, they were like embarrassed. And then the other half absolutely loved it. I think they thought he was the greatest color guy in history. He walked <laughs> all over John Madden. Nobody could compare to him. So he's That's he's a very... He's a very uh, what do they what do they say? Amazing. That's <laughs> right. Amazing. We are huge in the vocab department here. Pat McAfee. I love the fact that he didn't switch up his stick for for the for the color. He just stayed himself. I loved every minute of it, man. Kudos to that guy. He's going to keep climbing in the media world. What else we got, Nat? All right. So another great guest that we had was Eric Weddle. He also was you guys almost started to recruit him to come on the show as well. This was another fun game that we played with him. Number one, Aaron Donald. Oh, my gosh. She's like a, uh, a, a warthog, but, <laughs> but bigger. Like, he's just he, – he's explosive. But, you know, those warthogs, and they, they're tough. They're fighters. I you don't mess it. with those guys. A nasty warthog. All right, next one we got <laughs> Nathan Peterman. He's going to be like a uh, – like a flying squirrel, okay. uh, you know, he, he, he goes around from trees to trees running for his life. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it was, it was unfortunate. You know, you never want to see guys 
get released. But big, big yeah. sympathizers to that situation. I got another one for you, Joe Flacco. Joe Flacco. How about how about like a, a tarantula, right? Oh. Just slow moving, creep up on you, and boom, kill you. <laughs> boom, out, out of the dark. You know, playoffs come around. Boom, snatch you up. <laughs> I would I would love for nothing more than to have Eric Weddle join the podcast. Like in a full full time capacity. Super fun dude, takes nothing serious, great football player. Uh has just as many Pro Bowls as me and you combined. So that's like really cool for all of us to be <laughs> such a Pro Bowl and, and perennial great football players. I love that you asked him uh to dis- to describe I like that Nathan Peterman was one of the three players there <laughs> that you asked him about. <laughs> Well, Weddle's such players. a nice guy. Like he wouldn't even say something mean about Nathan Peterman. <laughs> I know, man. He was trying he was to like, soft shoe it. It was great. Uh, find the the best in everyone. That is an incredible quality by Eric Weddle. Not like the trolls that we talked about on the internet earlier in this episode. <laughs> Those were some of the top player highlights. We also have a lot of fans that have called in, and obviously the show would not be successful without our fans. So here are a couple of. Fans that called in and told us what their favorite moments of this season were. Uh, hey, guys. Uh, my favorite part of the Tomahawk show that's coming up in one year is uh, when you guys said that you were going to hire an intern. And I had tweeted at you uh, and sent uh, tweeted my resume as well. And I didn't hear back from anybody. So, yeah, that was a lot of fun. Um, so, anyway, what I'm trying to say is Joe Hawk you. <laughs> on the real though, love you guys. Uh, oh, I love it. You're, uh, we're still reviewing resumes. Yeah, so, somebody dropped the ball in the legal department. There, we'll have to follow <laughs> yeah. up. And... What is? I gotta talk to our hiring guy, Joe Thomas. We'll we'll get to the bottom of that. What's the next voicemail? Oh man, there's so much pressure. Uh, my favorite parts of the year of the Tomahawk is when. Bog talks about how short he is because I'm the same height and it gives me hope that there is stuff that us short guys can do. So, yeah, go hawk yourself. Joe, hawk yourself, man. I'm glad. I'm just doing it for the for the people, man. That's what it's all about. Just shaming tall people and, and bringing them all down to size. Real man of the people there, Hawk. That's that's what they call me, man. That's why I'm so humble. <laughs> I mean, everyone calls me humble. I'm the humblest. What else we got? So this is like a repeat topic that has come up. What's up, my Tomahawk brothers? This is Thomas from Lorraine, currently living in Georgia. So I got to say, the best moment of the year, hands down, has to be NFD calling out the success of the Kansas City Chiefs before the season even started. I don't know what that man saw, but... No offense to Zern, but he's the one that kind of needs his own podcast. <laughs> As always, go flock yourself. <laughs> we called, my, that might be my favorite audio. When we did the episode with NFD for Christmas and he talked about the Chiefs, we, we rewound it back to when he predicted it the first time. And my quote was, man, that is a terrible take. You are an idiot. <laughs> yeah, Proves oh, how much man. you know about football. And you That's know what, I'm trying to experts. figure out. NFD must have an, a lot of family in Ohio that listens to the Tomahawk show because when he's not on, they are like constantly berating us about not having him on <laughs> and they constantly think that we fired him. And you get all these fucking voicemails from his family members that just <laughs> pump him up. And I'm getting real tired of it. Let's put it that way. Two words, burner accounts. They're all <laughs> NFD. They're just NFD operating 
400 Twitter accounts uh, demanding himself be back in the show and, and more included in everything. Mm-hmm. Speaking of NFD, he had an amazing monologue for our first episode back of the kind of season two, I guess, of the podcast. This was it. I don't know what's been going on here, and I don't know why it's been going on here. If your voice ain't gone, you should be podcasting. Straight up. That's weakness. And it's contagious. And that's over with here, bruh. We can't take any more podcasts off. Because we can't be great that way. Joe, you played 10,363 consecutive plays, but could only make 20 straight podcasts before taking a break? That's contagious. Hawk, you played for the New England Patriots. It's contagious. It's time to get that weakness out of here. And it's time to be great. There's only one thing left to say. Joe Hawk yourself. Oh, man. I hate laughing at our own Joe because I think it's so funny. But also, I never <laughs> listen back. So this is all, like, new to me every time I hear it. But that is a funny take, man. It's a hard knocks. Cleveland. What a year for Cleveland. Do you think the fact that Cleveland had such a great year and from Hard Knocks to the Baker saga to all the drama, do you think that plays into the success of the Tomahawk show? I'm going to go ahead and deliberately not answer your question, and I'm going to go and just make a comment and say, <laughs> how about NFD? He was kidnapped, being held hostage. His kidnappers gave him one phone call, and instead of calling the police, <laughs> instead of calling his beautiful wife, calling home and letting him know that he was alive and he was well, he decided to call the Tomahawk voicemail line and leave the hard knocks open voicemail of the year. Congratulations to NFD and his commitment to the Tomahawk show. That's incredible. It's also the reason why he stayed captive for four more months because they didn't give him, they didn't give him another phone call. Because he was too busy using his one fucking call on the Tomahawk voicemail line. So there's just a couple more fun moments of the year and they have to do with some talented NFL players that can sing and rap. So here's mm. the first one. Oh. Tomahawk show. Uh. Make everybody glow. Yeah. Yeah. It's me and my bro. Hey. Tomahawk show. Show. He got them chains on. Oh. He doing his thing. Yeah. White toe bogging. Hey. He gonna be rocking. Yeah. Yeah, we over here rocking. Okay. And we never stop. Joe with the terrible ad libs. I love it. I was wondering. <laughs> Was I the, what, the machine gun guy that went, brr, brr, or was that yeah, somebody else? Yeah. Well, I don't know what kind of gun that was. Um, I don't know if you have any guns that make that sound, but if so, we should probably report you. What else we got now? What's the other one? I think I know what the other one so is. So that was Melvin Ingram, and this is Marvin Jones. Mm, the sweet melodies of Marvin Jones. This is the Tomahawk Show. I want you to sing with the Tomahawk Show in there, because we're going to cut up all this music stuff. We're going to make a track. But I need you to give me just some some, some melodic okay, tomahawk okay. <laughs> tomahawk wordage. Do your thing, Ma. Let's get it. Oh, 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 oh we are on the tomahawk show with Joe and Andrew Hawkins. We in this. Hey. Damn. Man, I wish my voice sounded like that. I think that is a good spot to leave it, man. Again, it's been an uh, incredible year 
We are so happy you guys decided to tune in every week, every episode, tweeting us at Tomahawk Show on Twitter and Instagram, interacting with us. We feel like we've gone through this entire year of football. As retired guys, we still have our locker room feel here on the Tomahawk Show, and we still have our camaraderie with you, the Tomahawk, and we greatly appreciate it. Make sure you are tweeting us again using the hashtag Tomahawk. Um, next week, I think we'll have a guest. We'll have a guest for our next episode. We're, we're going to zero in who that is. Everybody's available now that the playoffs are starting. Make sure you subscribe. Make sure you rate us five stars. Joe, what are your closing thoughts? Closing thoughts are I was very pleased after the playoff games from this weekend because I'm cheering pretty hard for Philip Rivers. I really want to see him get his Super Bowl and finally get his due because he's been very much underrated throughout his career. And the same goes to one of the members of the Tama flock, Melvin Ingram. Big fan mm. of the show. We've had him on. He's a uh, rap for us, like you mentioned. And he was, in my opinion, outside of Phillip Rivers, the MVP of the game last weekend for the Los Angeles Chargers. And I would love to see him get his due because similarly to Phillip Rivers, he's been underrated throughout his career. He's been a tremendous run defender. He was always one of the toughest guys I played against blocking in the pass rush. And I would love to see him get the credit that he finally deserves. That is an incredible final thought. Showing love to a time of flock, anybody associated with us. A lot of former Browns in the playoffs, too. Maybe we'll detail that on the next episode. Firm, I'm going to give you the floor here. What are your final thoughts? Wow. Are you going to plug your the rebuild? No, I, 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 I don't know what that is. I don't know what you're talking about. The rebuild. How many, how many episodes do you do a week? Just one. One a week? Where one can it be found at? One a week. You can find them wherever you find your podcasts. Apple, Spotify, iTunes. Um, your mother's old radio. I don't know. Anywhere you get your podcasts. I don't know if there's enough of time. Give me some final thoughts, Mer. Uh My final thoughts are, you know, it's crazy for me because obviously growing up a Browns fan, watching Joe for forever, and then watching Hawk when he was with the Browns, and then listening to your podcast when you guys started it, it is very surreal. It remains surreal that I get to log on to a computer a couple times a week and look at uh, the faces of two uh, football players that played for my favorite football team. And you guys couldn't be any nicer. And I've had an amazing time uh, getting to do this with you guys. So uh, very, <laughs> Joe, Joe's got it. Yes. Yeah, so salute to both of you, you gentlemen. Uh, it has been awesome to get to know you. And uh, this has been a blast. So that's my, uh, my final thoughts. Firm, Truly you're humble. a scholar and a champion, and we couldn't appreciate you more. We thank you for everything you've done. We thank you for your service here to the Tomahawk. Firm, do you remember meeting me at uh, the Stack offices years and years ago? Yes, I do. Also, I also don't know if you remember this. Very briefly, when I was at ESPN Cleveland, you came in for your radio show, and they were like, Jordan, can you just hang out and make sure he gets everything, like, everything fine? And I think I briefly was like, hello, Andrew? And you were like, yeah, um, I'm doing my show. Don't ever speak to me again. And I was like, all right, cool. I'll see you later. <laughs> oh, typical asshole. Andrew that sounds like me. Same person every day. I don't remember it, but I say it every day, so that sounds about right. I, I totally forgot about you until you just mentioned it you coming up into the stack offices though that's uh that that was why i remember you from the stack offices yes i was i had a i had an incredible billion dollar idea that we're still we're still pushing towards (laughs) yeah we're working on it yep it's still still kicking off nat do you have some final thoughts for us well i already gave my little spiel but again i'm super thankful for being a part of this show and i'm very excited to see the new heights that it's gonna go to so one year only the beginning incredible foundation now to the top That does it for today's episode of Tomahawk. Nat, take us out. Joe, hawk yourself.